It's time for Tycoons of Small Biz, spotlighting the true backbone of the American economy, the true tycoons of business in America, the owners, founders, and CEOs of small businesses. The show's hosts, Austin Peterson and Landon Mance, are registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons. Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. My name is Austin Peterson. I'm joined by my co-host, Landon Mance. And if this is the first time you're listening to our program, Tycoons of Small Biz, this program has for uh, its goal to prop up privately held businesses throughout our country. And so we, we know that uh, the privately held businesses in our country are truly the backbone of America's economy. And so we do what we can to help prop those up. And to that end, today we have a great guest uh, lined up. We've got Michelle Seiler Tucker, founder of Seiler Tucker Inc., coming to us live from New Orleans, Louisiana. I did the best I could to get that out uh, with your version of that pronunciation. But Michelle, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you. Thank you. I think you did great, Austin. Exactly how I say, New Orleans. <laughs> well, we're excited to have you on the program, and, and we know you've got a lot of information to share with us about uh, you know, building, selling businesses, buying businesses. But before we jump into that, we talked a little bit offline. We know that you have a daughter. We'd love to hear about you personally. Tell us about your family. Tell us about your upbringing, whatever you'd like to know us to know about you personally before we jump into the business side. So my upbringing, huh? I, I didn't really come from a family of entrepreneurs, but I've always been an entrepreneur. My dad did was an entrepreneur, owned a few companies, but that's about it as far as my family goes. I wasn't your typical little girl. I didn't play with toys and didn't play with dolls. I would walk around and walk up to a stranger with a notebook and start asking you questions, just like you're asking me questions right now. And so I was always a people person. I was always a problem solver. I always knew that I would never work for anybody because I don't like people telling me what to do. <laughs> So I've owned many different businesses and many different verticals. Um, As far as something personal, I do have a daughter who's now 10. And she's more complicated than any transaction we've ever done. And we've done over a thousand deals. (laughs) (laughs) And um, and then I've been with my husband for 25, 26 years. I say 25, 26, 27 because I always get the year wrong. So if I get a range, (laughs) I won't get in too much trouble. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess I guess that's better than saying we've been married for ten, but it feels like thirty. Yeah, so <laughs> a lot better. And then I'm bad about dates. Like I'm really good about remembering numbers. I can tell you your financials like that because I remember financials, but I don't remember the date I got married. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. We we don't have to worry about your husband <laughs> listening to this anyway, right? I don't know. He listens to pretty much everything. <laughs> <laughs> So I apologize up front. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get it. Well, as, as a father of a daughter as well, so I have a son and a daughter, but I have a daughter that's 17, almost 18. Oh. And, uh, and then Landon has twins, boy and girl twins that are that just turned a year old. And oh, so wow. uh, he's going to learn what it's like to raise a daughter. He's got a stepson that uh, is 18 now. And so he's gone through the teenage years. But uh, as a boy, it does not compare to girls, trust me. Yeah, that's what my mom says. I have four brothers and she said I was the most difficult out of all of them. <laughs> Girls are very difficult because, 
you know, they're, they're they can be emotional too, right? Boys, yeah. are, boys are easier for sure. And yeah. I heard that it doesn't get easier because my daughter's, you know, 10 going on 20. <laughs> I heard it gets difficult because as they go into their teenage years, it gets yeah. much harder. Yeah, yeah no, my, no doubt about it. I mean, I don't want to make you cry early in the program, but yeah, it's going to get worse before it gets better. <laughs> I'm just going to lock her in the attic. <laughs> That'll make it a lot easier. <laughs> right. Oh boy. Well, um, we, we look forward to the conversation. We, we obviously know your background, Landon and I do. We've spent some time getting to know, you know, about you personally, as well as the company, but just, just give us a little bit of background now on the company. Tell us who Siler Tucker is, what it is that you guys do for, for businesses, and, and then we'll jump into some more questions around that. Sure. So Siler Tucker is a mergers and acquisitions firm. I'm a mergers and acquisitions master intermediary, senior business analyst, and a bunch of other acronyms. <laughs> and um, I have personally sold over 500 companies. My firm has sold over 1,000. We really specialize in buying, selling, fixing, growing businesses. I buy businesses and flip them. I also partner with business owners, investing my my money, my capital, my expertise, resources to put to fix businesses, to grow the business, and then put them on the build to sell program. And I don't partner with everybody. Obviously, I'm very particular in who I partner with. And I've you know written several books, been on many stages, uh, but we're a firm that really just helps small business owners. I love what you said. In the beginning, where you said we help private businesses because private businesses are the backbone of our economy. And I believe the same when I wrote my very first book in uh, 2013 called Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth. I did the research and learned that 95% of all startups would fail, right? We all know that one to five yep. years. But something that most people don't know, and maybe you gentlemen do, but most people don't know this. When I wrote Exit Rich in 2020, 2019, 2020 with Sharon Lecter, I did this exact same research and learned that the business landscape has actually flip-flopped dramatically. Now it's only 30% of startups would fail in those one to five years, only 30%. However, out of 27.6 million businesses, those companies that have been in business for 10 years or longer, 70% of those businesses are at risk of going out of business, 70%. You hear about the big public companies like Toys R Us and Business 75 Years goes out of business. You know, Montgomery Ward's in trouble, Chase C. Penney's, Kmart goes out of business, Radio Shack, Steinmark, Pier 1, Godiva closes down 1,500 locations, GNC closes down 900 locations, and I'm not even mentioning them all, but you no. don't hear about the private sector the private businesses on every street corner in every town and every street across our great nation. Unfortunately, these business owners are exiting poor. They're selling for pennies on the dollar, closing their business, and even worse, filing bankruptcy. In America, when you file bankruptcy, you're not just going to lose your business assets, you're going to lose your personal assets too because most business owners pierce the corporate veil because they commingle their assets, they sign personal guarantees, they take a mortgage out, a lien out against their home to support their business, and so they lose everything. So small business is the backbone of our economy. There's 30.2 million businesses in the United States employing over half the U.S. workforce. And when small businesses close, we lose jobs. When we lose jobs, we lose spending power. And guess what? It's a domino effect. Then you lose more small business. So I'm on a mission. It's my mission. It's my passion 
to help save the American economy by saving one business at a time from going out of business. So we don't just sell businesses, we're really saving business owners from being part of that 70% statistic and building a sellable asset. Because in addition to that, as if that wasn't grim enough, Steve Forbes says, eight out of 10 businesses will not sell. 80% of companies will not sell. And he endorsed my book, Exit Rich. Yeah, as a matter of fact, that last statistic, eight out of 10 won't sell, is where I thought you were headed uh, initially. So you did eventually get there. But yeah, that is a statistic that we're aware of. We speak to our business owners about it as well. I mean, if, if you weren't aware, Landon and I work essentially exclusively with privately held businesses throughout our country. Mm-hmm. And we don't do the M&A work. I mean, we work with them to get them prepared to sell. Mm-hmm. We make sure that they understand what it's going to take to get them there. But uh, the actual trans- transaction we leave to, to people who do what you do. Right. Did you know about the 70% though? Yes. You did? Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's shocking. It's shocking to me that that's the case. But yeah, it is. We were aware of that. And it's. And that's it's before the pandemic. Yeah. That's before the pandemic. It's going to be even worse now. But you're the only gentleman I've talked to. And I've been on over 200 of these that actually knew the 70% statistic. Nobody, nobody I ever talked to knows it. Because the media doesn't talk about it. Yeah. They don't want to talk about private business because it's not big enough for them. Yeah, we don't get the publicity, right? I mean, we're nobody's talking about us on on Forbes or on you know CNN or Fox News or CNBC or you know any of those. We're not getting the mentions, but you're absolutely right. We do hear about the GNC's clothing. We hear about Kmart. We hear about all these large organizations that just essentially didn't adapt, right? I mean, that's a big part of it. Is they didn't adapt to the new economy and the way that things are to still stay in business. Yeah, I say, so I say a little bit differently, but pretty much the same, is that they stopped doing what I call AIM, A-I-M. Business owners who've been in business over 10 years stop innovating and marketing. You could say adapt, same kind of same thing, right? They're married to their ideas. They're married to their concepts. They want to keep doing things the way they've always done. And bottom line, you're either growing or dying. There is no in between. And so if you don't continue to innovate, if you don't continue to market, then you're going to lose market sector and you're going to go out of business. And whoever makes it easiest for the consumer to purchase products and services is the company that's going to win. Amazon is winning because they make it so easy to practically purchase anything and have it delivered to you in two days. You can practically buy a horse on Amazon and have it in your house, in your backyard in two days, or even an alligator. Oh, I already have those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we talked about that a little bit before the show started. And, and what you didn't hear is that I have actually been on a golf course with alligators in Florida. And it's it's crazy. I mean, they're just right there walking around the, the golf course. Here we have coyotes and, you know, cougars that will run, you know, run through the golf courses. But, yeah, alligators, they make me nervous. Well, yeah, because, I mean, all I got to do is take that tail, <laughs> grab you in their tail and spin you around. Yep, yeah. exactly. Well, um, one of the things that I want to talk to you about is the strategy that you've laid out, which reminds me an awful lot of Stephen Covey's Begin With The End In Mind, and that is your, your GPS exit model or planning your exit strategy from day one. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that and what it is that you specifically do with business owners to help them do that? Sure. So one of the number, the reason I really came up with the STGPS exit model is because the number one reason that businesses don't sell, that 80% of businesses don't sell, is because business owners never think 
about selling and never think about their exit strategy until a catastrophic event has occurred. Internal or external, internal being health issues, partner disputes, divorce, death, business not doing well, external being this pandemic we're in. And that's the worst time to sell your business. But yet that's when most business owners think about selling their company. And the best time to sell your business is when it's in its prime. So I really take my clients through what I call the STGPS exit model. When you gentlemen want to drive somewhere, what do you do? You pull out your phone, you go to Google Maps, and what do you plug in? What do you plug in? Your destination. destination. And that's what business owners don't have. They don't have a destination. They don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. And because they don't have a destination, they're driving around in circles. They're driving up and down the financial hills to end up nowhere. So I work with my clients and say, okay, from day one of buying or starting a business, what is your end game? My partners, unless they can come up with their desired sales price, their end game within three to five years, I don't work with them. I don't partner with them. So the first thing we have to do is pick a number, pick a desired sales price. And Austin, everybody gets hung up on a number. Don't get hung up on a number. Just pick a number. You can always change it later. You know, so let's say you want to sell your business for $20 million. We typically sell businesses um, $20, 25000000 million and up. So let's say you want to sell for $20 million. Great. Now you have a start of a plan. What does a GPS exit model need to know next? Where you're starting from? What is your current location? What is your current evaluation? Now, I don't know if y'all know this, but most, y'all probably do because you seem to know everything so far that I'm talking about. <laughs> but most, most business owners have never, ever gotten a business evaluation done on their business. I just talked to a guy the other day, been in business 50 years, never had a business evaluation done. That's financial suicide. You know, we go to the doctor once a year to get an annual checkup to make sure our heart's still ticking and we're still kicking, right? We take a car to the shop once a year to get an annual tune-up, but we don't get an annual business valuation checkup. That's financial suicide because there are events and increased valuation. There are events that decrease valuation. This pandemic is, is a perfect example of that. So every year you need to know what your business is worth. So let's say you want to sell for $20 million. That's your desired destination, your desired sales price. And your current valuation is $5 million. Then you need to know time frame. What's your time frame? Let's say it's 10 years. Now, what's the next thing you need to know? Buyers. Who are your buyers going to be? Not buyer. I have clients that come to me all the time and say, Michelle, I already have the buyer. I just need you to represent me. And I'm like, no, I won't do that. Yes, I'll represent you, but we're going to put it on the market at the same time. Because I can promise you, in all likelihood, that one buyer is going to fall apart. You can't put all your eggs in one buyer's basket and not have any backup buyers. Most buyers will not close on the sale of your business. Plus, how can we maximize price if we have no competition? Yep. We have to have competition. Competition creates the highest value. So there's five types of buyers. Did y'all know that? Well, we know several different types of buyers. I don't know that I've ever said there are five. So I'll be interested to hear what your five are. So, well, the first and foremost, 90% of buyers are first-time buyers. First-time buyers are not going to buy a $20 million company. They buy smaller businesses. And then you have turnaround specialists that buy distressed assets. They're not going to buy a $20 million company. And then we have PEGs, private equity groups, which we work with thousands upon thousands of PEGs. PEGs buy two ways. They buy based on platforms and add-ons. So let's say they want to get into the food manufacturing space. They won't even consider a business unless it has 3 to $5 million in EBITDA. Yeah. But let's say they're already 
in the food manufacturing business and they're looking for add-ons and they are looking at a spice company. They'll look at they'll look at add-ons under a million in EBITDA. Make sense? Yep. And then the third type of buyer is competitors and strategics. They pay the strategics, not always competitors, but strategics will typically pay the highest multiple for your business because they're buying synergies. They're buying synergies that are going to help catapult their current business to the next level. Plus they can take economy, they can take advantage of economies of scale. Plus they have infrastructure. So they look at the business through a completely different pair of eyes as far as what infrastructure can we cut? What can we get rid of? Because we already have this infrastructure in which to increase EBITDA from day one of closing on the business. And then the fifth type of buyer is your sophisticated serial entrepreneurs who do nothing but buy businesses. They're industry agnostic and they chase cash flow. So those are really the five types. And so you're going to, a $20 million company is going to sell to one of the three. So then you need to figure out, you need to reverse engineer and figure out where's my financials need to be. If I want to sell for $20 million, where's my top line need to be? Cost of goods, gross profit margin. Most importantly, where's the EBITDA need to land? Earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization needs to be at least between four to $5 million if you're trying to sell for $20 million, depending upon your synergies. And then you need, to, you need to look at these buyers and say, okay, what are their buying criteria? What are their non-negotiables? What synergies are they willing to pay top dollar for? And then you build your business based upon what I call the ST6Bs to build to their specific criteria. It's kind of when a business, it's kind of like when a business owner goes in and opens up a business. What do they do? They say, okay, I'm gonna sell this widget. This is my widget. This is my ideal target market, right? They determine before they even really go into business what they're gonna sell and who their target market is. Same thing with selling your business. What are you selling and who's your target buyer and what are they looking for? And build to their specific criteria. Does that make sense? Yep. And then the last step in that GPS exit model, and I know it sounds so cliche, but what is your why? (laughs) What is the why? Because if it was easy to sell a business for $20 million, everybody would be doing it and giving you guys the money to go invest. (laughs) But obviously it's not easy. You have to have a strong enough, powerful why to keep you in the game, to keep you motivated. And most importantly, to help you weather all these different financial storms. Because you could be trucking along and all of a sudden, bam, there's a pandemic and it knocks you right off your tracks. <laughs> so that's it. That's the SG, GPS exit model that we really work with our clients on. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yep. And it's a plan. Yep. It's a plan versus having no plan. <laughs> and, and we really work on mindset too, Austin, because most business owners are like, it's my business. It's my baby. I'm never going to sell it. Wrong. <laughs> it's not your baby. Your babies are those twins you have at home, Landon. They're your kids you have at home, Austin. Those are your babies. Go home and kiss and hug those babies. Your business is your most valuable asset. It's your retirement fund. It's your nest egg. And then you take the money and you invest it. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And you're you're hitting some some buttons, obviously, that Landon and I talk about from the get-go. And you know, one of the things that came to mind when you were talking, and then I'm gonna let Landon jump in because I know he's got some questions, but you know, if <laughs> there are statistics that show that business owners a year to 18 months after they've sold their business, they profoundly regret doing so, right? And that's because they weren't mentally ready 
to sell the business. They still have the money. They can do whatever they want. They've built this asset, sold it. Now they're investing it and doing what they want to do. But they miss the building of the business. They miss, you know, whatever. And so they, they didn't put anything in place to replace that in their life, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's being fulfilled by helping raise grandkids or it's being fulfilled by volunteering with certain civic or charitable or religious organizations, you have to have a plan for the exit as well to be mentally ready to cross that threshold. It's not just about the financial side. of it. So you want me to respond? Sure. Absolutely. You can, I can, absolutely. So there's a chapter in my book called when you should sell your business or the best time to sell your business. I forgot the name of my own chapter, but anyway, like the best timing to sell your business, but here's the bottom line. We're doing this over 20 years. We've sold over a thousand businesses. If we don't help business owners plan their beginning strategy, they will never move forward with their exit strategy. So we really sit down with them to ask them, what do you want to do next? They're like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I once had this manufacturing plant that we were selling and I bought the husband and wife three offers and three offers all met their price and terms. No reason to walk away. (laughs) They walked away from all three offers. And I'm like, listen, I'm not going to keep doing this. I'm taking the business off the market. Y'all need to sit down and figure out what you want to do. And I said, well, we have no idea. And I said, well, just take some time, go on a vacation, figure it out. And they called me about a month or two later. And I said, okay, we figured it out. And I go, what? And they go, well, we were always passionate about bed and breakfasts when we were kids. And we always wanted to own one. And I said, how'd you forget that? They said, well, when you get busy in your business and get busy tending to life and busy tending to your family, you forget what you were once passionate about. So we actually have exercises in my book, Exit Rich, to help people through this process to figure out what it is you want to do next. So the next offer I bought them, they accepted. They moved to New Hampshire and bought a B&B. <laughs> <laughs> so we always, so it's a mindset. We always walk through because you're right. It's not always about price. A lot of times, and, and we rate, you know, what's, what's the top five most important things to you? A lot of times it's making sure that their employees are taken care of. Because their employees are like their family. They help them build a successful business. You know, you don't build a business, you build people and people build a business. So they want to make sure that people are taken care of. And then their clients, they want to make sure their clients are taken care of. Some of them want to make sure their legacy continues to grow. Some of them don't want to sell 100%. Maybe they want to sell 80%, you know, 90% and still retain, you know, retain some equity and still stay on. So we really work through all of this different mindset stuff. And then a lot of times I'd be like, Michelle, I got to sell my business for $10 million. Well, they got $100,000 in EBITDA. (laughs) You're not going to get $10 million. I'm like, how did you come up with that price? Well, that's what I need to retire on. Well, that's what I need to do this, pay for five girls' weddings because they have five daughters. You know, you name it, I've heard it. But a lot of times when we sit down with them, I go, okay, what do you need a month? And this is where you gentlemen come in. What do you need a month? What do you need a year to live on? It's not always 10 million or 15 million. It could be maybe 5 million. So they really haven't worked through those financials to really determine what they need. They just pick a number Mm -hmm. and they haven't really done any due diligence behind the number. Yep. No, absolutely. That's one of the first things that we do with our business owner clients is establish what that value gap is, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, we do too. And a lot of times there's not a value gap because they don't, they may, they don't need a hundred thousand dollars a month to live on. 
<laughs> you know, and so depending upon how old they are, how much time they have, et cetera, will determine really. And then obviously what they need is what they need, but buyers are not going to pay them what they need. They're going to pay them what the business is worth. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I love Private that. Private equity groups are typically not charity charities, right? What's that? Private equity groups are typically not buying businesses for charity. No, none of them are. <laughs> Sophisticated or strategic or competitors don't either. Yeah, they don't right. Care. They don't care about what the seller wants. They care about what the value is that they're buying. Well, that's a perfect uh, segue into our, our next uh, topic that uh, we'll talk to you about. But just be, before I, I transition there, I just wanted to kind of highlight one of the things that you said, which was, you know, understanding why, you know, a business owner wants to sell their business so that their exit strategy can be designed around that, right? Because a lot of times when you initially start to talk to the business owner and they sell, yeah, they say, yeah, I want to, you know, I want to sell the business for 10 million. Okay. Uh, you know, why? And then let them, let them talk. And then, like you said, when the business owners are, are sitting down and having that conversation and they tell you that I just want to get max value for my business, I don't care who it gets sold to. It's like, okay, well, let's, let's take a little step back here because if we get the max value and we end up selling it to, you know, a strategic or a private equity group, there's a chance they're going to gut 50 to 75% of your staff. So are you, you know, are you comfortable with that? Well, of course not. No, no, no. So I, I just think it's so important to uh, to have that discussion ahead of time. So I just wanted to uh, just kind of highlight that because I, I think that that is just so critical leading up to a potential exit. And I'm not talking three or six or 12 months leading up. I'm talking one, two, three, five years mm -hmm. leading up because that's that's where Austin and I, you know, we tell our clients, we can help you with a lot of this stuff, but there's not a lot that we can do if you're trying to do this in three months or six months. We need 24, 36, 48 months, you know, plus. Right. And we, we can't do it in three months either. <laughs> we need some good leeway too. And when we get into the why, you know, sometimes you have to, to really, um, to really poke at them, to get them to figure out what their why is. Cause a lot of times they don't know. I mean, but, and then sometimes they're like, this is my why. And this is, you know, we were selling a, a marketing advertising company. He's like, I got to sell between, you know, around $10 million, 10 to 15 million. And I'm like, why? And he said, well, my wife was diagnosed with a debilitating disease, skin disease, and there is no cure. So I really want to help her and help find a cure. And I'm like, well, we need more than $10 million to find a cure. So let's get started. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes they have like really powerful whys. There's another business I'm starting. I was selling in a 60 to $70 million range. And their why is that they want to start a nonprofit for children. So you really got to dig deep sometimes and help them figure out what that why is. It's kind of like their beginning strategy. A lot of times they're so busy that they really haven't had time to think about what their why is or, you know, what their beginning strategy is because they've been right. so overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they just, and no one has asked them, right? No one no, has asked him. And that's why Exit Rich has a whole chapter dedicated to what is your why? What, what do you want to do? What are, your, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What would you do if money wasn't, wasn't a thing? You know, what would you do for free? I love it. Love it. So earlier you uh, alluded to, uh, uh, these weren't your exact words, but something to the effect of 
you know, when you're, when you're selling your business, most of the time, you know, they're not, they're not buying you, right. They're buying the cash flow of the business essentially, right. Is when, especially when you get up into that, you know, 10, $20 million plus, you know, enterprise value range, you um, have something that you speak to called the 10 biggest profit mistakes. So let's tie those two together and, uh, you know, tell us kind of, I, I mean, maybe we don't have time to go through all of them, but Talk to us about a couple, you know, of those that, that you have seen probably numerous times in your in your time of selling thousand plus uh, businesses. So I'm going to tie in the ten profit mistakes with the six P's. Okay. Okay. Because the six P's is a solid infrastructure and a synergies that you need to build your business on, in which to get lots of buyers bidding on your business, in which to maximize value, and not only to sell your business. But if you operate on the six P's, your business is going to be sustainable. You're going to be able to scale it. And when you're ready, you'll actually have a sellable asset. And that's the number one reason that businesses don't sell is because buyers really haven't built the business to sell. So they don't have a sellable asset when they're ready. So the six P's, so we'll talk about the big profit mistakes, business, the biggest uh, mistakes that business owners make. Number one is people. Business owners get so stuck. Most, a lot of business owners have created a glorified job in which to go to work at every day versus a business that actually works for them. And that's one of the biggest profit mistakes because they're like, oh, now I have this freedom. Oh, now I have financial, you know, financial freedom. I can do whatever I want. I can take four vacations a year. I got a business owner right now that hasn't taken a vacation in 35 years. <laughs> you know, where's your, where's your freedom there? So instead of the biggest mistake I see business owners making is they create a job that they go to work at every day versus a business that works for them. Business owners get stuck in the day-to-day. They think they have to have control of everything. In order to grow, you must let go of the control. You have to have people. You don't build a business, you build people and people build a business. So entrepreneurs have to focus on their strengths, hire their weaknesses and let go of the control. So you have to have the right people in the right seats. This is the number two reason that a business doesn't sell because the business is dependent upon the owner. I've got a a fabrication company right now, been in business 50 years, two owners, four employees. They're like in their seventies. And I'm like, let me see the policy and procedure manuals. They're like, oh, it's all right here. (laughs) What happens if something happens to you guys? You know, when the business, when you die, the business dies. So people is huge. You got to have the right people in the right seat. And you have to ask the who question. Who opens the door? Who handles accounting, marketing, legal, manufacturing, transportation, environmental, quality control? The clue here is you should never be next to the who. You have to build a business to run without you. And that is by far one of the biggest profit mistakes most business owners make. And I got a dentist right now who wants to sell his dental practice. In business, 50 years, one dentist, three dental hygienists. The three dental hygienists are his daughters. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I can sell the business, probably can't maximize value, but the purchase price is going to be attached to you staying on. If you don't stay on, the purchase price is going to decrease. He goes, I'm not staying, I'm leaving. I said, well, then your patients will leave. So there is no, nothing to sell. So y'all understand people is number one. So important. And it's the most complicated, (laughs) the most difficult to manage is the people. 
The second one where I see a lot of business owners make mistakes, profit mistakes, is in product. So product is your industry, your service, your product. You know, you guys are financial advisors. I'm M&A advisor. You have to look at your product, your service, your industry and ask, is it on the way up or on the way out? Is it thriving or dying? Do you have an Amazon here at the top of your game or do you have a blockbuster and you're about to go bust? Here's a big profit mistake, Landon. A lot of business owners stay in the same thing too long. Remember, 70% of businesses are going out of business because business owners stop innovating. They start marketing. So here's three transformational questions that every business owner should ask themselves. And they should probably pause right now and get out a pen and paper. <laughs> but number one, Amazon did this back in the 90s. Amazon asked themselves, what business are we in? And I said, we're in a book selling business. We sell books. The second question, what is our core competency? What business are we really in? What do we do better than everybody else? And so Amazon said, we do fulfillment better than anyone else. So here's the most obvious question. What business should we be in? Should. And Amazon said, we should be in the fulfillment business, fulfilling products for everybody all around the world, not just books. Those three transformational questions, because here's the profit mistake business owners make. They're stuck in the transactional. They're stuck in the day-to-day. When you're in your fog, it's foggy. You have to get out of your fog and get an outsider's perspective and become transformational. Those three questions transformed Amazon from a book, small bookseller to a multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today. Yep. Right? And did you ever watch a movie, The Founder, based upon the McDonald's brothers? Yep. You remember when the gentleman followed Ray Kroc out of the bank and asked him, what business are you in? And Ray Kroc said, I'm in the, the food business. I'm in the restaurant business. He goes, no, what business are you in? But he's like, I'm in the restaurant business. He said, you need to be in the real estate business. That's the business you should be in. Because if you go buy up all the real estate, build the buildings, lease them to the franchisees, and the franchisees are not compliant, then they can turn, then you then you void their contract, you put another franchisee in, plus you're getting paid rent. Yep. That gave him the leverage to take McDonald's away from the McDonald brothers. Yep. Right? And yep. that's why McDonald's is one of the largest real estate holding companies in the world today. Those three questions. So the next one is processes. Now, Landon, there's all kinds of profit mistakes that business owners make for processes. <laughs> you know, I had, uh, we're selling a manufacturing, we sell a lot of manufacturing, as you can tell. We're selling a manufacturing company and one of the employees got hurt on the manufacturing floor and lost a limb. So lawsuits are coming down, manufacturing guy's gonna, the owner's gonna have to file bankruptcy and guess what, his business is not sellable. So you know what he said to me? Michelle, we need a process for health and safety on the manufacturing floor. I'm like, you think? <laughs> like, we're a little late for that. That's the least of your problems right now. <laughs> and it's going to hurt you that you didn't have that process when you go to court. So here's where most people get it wrong. Most people design the processes around their own agenda. Owners. What the owners want. What ours owners want. The owners want to answer the phone, not answer the phone. If the owners want to do this or do that. They don't design the process around the customer experience. You follow me? Yep. You remember that again, I'm gonna take you back to the founder, the movie. Yeah. Remember the McDonald's back in the 50s said we want to develop a fast food restaurant and we want to develop a fast food system because nobody's doing it. And they said we want to design it around the customer experience. Want the customers experience great tasting food that's hot, fast, 30 seconds or less. Do you remember when they took all the employees out to the tennis courts? They took the chalk and they ma- mapped it out. Do you remember that scene? I don't. 
Wow. They went out to, this is like one of the most prolific scenes of the entire movie. Well, did you fall asleep? It's very possible. What are you doing? (laughs) I fall asleep in a lot of movies, so it is very possible. (laughs) So they went to the tennis courts. They took chalk. They drew out the processes. They were all bumping into each other like crazy. Uh One of the McDonald's brothers was up on the ladder, and he was orchestrating the processes. They did this all day for like nine, ten hours until they figured out who takes order, who. Toast the buns, you know, cooks the burger, puts the pickles on the buns and gives it to the client. Those processes, even though they've been tweaked along the way, is why you can eat at a McDonald's anywhere in the world and get the same experience. Mm-hmm. On the flip side of that, Austin, have you ever dealt with a company where you're like, you had to talk to the first person and the second person, like five different people to get some resolve on your issue? Credit card companies, yeah. banks, social media companies. The yeah. processes are designed to alienate and upset and frustrate you they're not designed to create wow experiences if you don't create wow experiences for your customers you won't stay in business very long so processes have to be designed with the wow experience customer experience in mind they need to be productive efficient and here's where a lot of business owners get this wrong big profit mistake they don't document the processes mcdonald's can fire somebody within minutes have somebody else working that front window because they have an SOP checklist. So you got to have those SOP checklists, employee handbooks, non-competes, et cetera. You've got to be well-documented if you're trying to sell. For a bit. But you need it to be well-documented anyway if you want to scale. <laughs> Absolutely. And so then the next P, where there's huge profit mistakes, let me just give you a quick crash course on valuations. Businesses that have less than a million dollars in EBITDA typically trade from one to three multiple. If they have some proprietary synergies, then they might go to four, four and a half, maybe. Okay, especially if there's a lot of buyers interested. Over a million in EBITDA typically will go for five and up. Proprietary is the fourth P. Proprietary is the highest multiple driver out of any other P. This can take you from a five to a seven, from a five to a 10. Make sense? Yep. And most businesses are multiple of EBITDA unless you're SaaS and it's a multiple of gross. Yep. So there's six pillars of proprietary. I'll walk through them really quickly because the last two P's are easy. Quick. So branding is number one. Branding is number one. The more well-branded your company is, the more I can sell your business for as long as your brand is relevant in the mind of the consumer. Is anybody paying any money for Blockbuster? <laughs> However... Not today. The most valuable brand in the world is Amazon. Apple. Apple. Oh, Apple. Yeah. Yeah. Too late. You lost, Austin. <laughs> Landon wins. Apple is worth $359 billion just for the brand. That's not cash flow, assets, real estate, inventory, receivables. That's just the brand. Build your brand. I'm not going to go through the steps of branding. 95% of businesses live in brand absence where consumers don't know who they are and what they do. You got to go from brand absence to brand awareness to brand. I mean, there's five steps in the branding ladder. So trademarks, extremely valuable. You want to hear about a big profit mistake in trademarks? Yeah. A lot of business owners will go set up shop. They go to um, GoDaddy and like, oh, yeah, I got the domain. Now I'm going to go get the trademark in Texas or California or wherever. But they never check the federal database to make sure that trademark is available. 
So I've seen business owners in business five, 10, 15 years all of a sudden receive a cease and desist letter in the mail and I have to stop using that company name. They'll hire an attorney, throw a lot of money, but they're probably going to lose. And guess what? Now you have to start the branding process all over again. Do you know how much money that costs? That's a huge profit mistake. So you have to brand, you have to federal trademark everything that's important. Your company name, your slogan, your logo, your podcast. Is y'all's podcast federally trademarked? Radio show, uh, I mean? No? Not yet. Nope. Ooh, let me go get it and sell it back to you. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, I, I, I surprisingly was able to trademark Exit Rich <laughs> federally. So the STGPSX model, ST6Bs, we have a company we're selling for about 60 to $70 million right now. And they have 12 different products. And each product has a federal trademark. And each product is exclusive to each retail chain store. So they have one product in Walmart. They have one in Target. They have one in TJ Maxx. Strategists and competitors will pay a lot of money for that, right? Uh-huh. Patents are another big one. If you ever watch Shark Tank, they sound like a broken record. Every single investor asks every single investor, do you have a patent on that? Do you have a utility patent? A yep. patent pending. Their offers contingent upon a patent. We once sold a company for $18 million. It wasn't making any money, but they had 18 patents. Hmm. So patents are very valuable. Contracts are another one. Manufacturing, vendor contracts, distribution contracts, franchisor that has franchisees, and the exclusive contract. Client contracts are the most valuable to buyers because they want to make sure money continues to come in the door, especially yeah. subscription models with reoccurring revenue. Here's the profit mistake on contracts. I have never met a business owner in all of my years of doing this, thousands of deals later, that has the two-sentence transferability clause in their contract saying that this contract is transferable on a new entity. 99.9% of all sales are asset sales, not stock. If a buyer doesn't agree to do a stock sell or the clients don't agree to consent to transfer and your contracts are not transferable, that deal's going to fall flat in its tracks. There was a private equity group that bought an M&A firm. They have 1,500 locations. This was a long time ago. I wasn't the M&A advisor in a deal. The <laughs> private equity group spent millions, had a huge laboratory party. The due diligence team never looked at the contracts. They looked at them, but they skipped over the transferability part that they're not transferable. They never got the consent to transfer signed. So that's a, so they figured that out after the deal closed. <laughs> and at the party, they tried to entice everybody to sign. Only one franchisee agreed to transfer over. Within 90 days, they filed bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And they sued their whole team. Wow. Huge profit mistake, right? Yeah. Databases are big. You want to make sure that you continue to nurture your clients. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp. $19 billion. Was WhatsApp making money? Yeah, no. No, they were hemorrhaging, but they had a synergy. They had a billion users. So Facebook knew they could ROI and monetize. Celebrity endorsements are huge too. You just got to make sure that it's well-papered because so, that's a huge profit mistake if it's not well-papered. We have a client that's got products in front of Oprah and Oprah endorses everything they do. Strategists and competitors will pay a lot of money for that, right? Because they want to get their products in front of Oprah. And same thing with radio personalities. A lot of people will pay a lot of money for that because they can only they can only endorse one vertical at a time. One skincare, one diet company, otherwise they'll lose credibility. And then e-commerce is huge, huge, huge. We have a lot of e-commerce businesses that we've sold would have like 
top three spot on Etsy or on Wayfair, Amazon, eBay, Modern, and and you know what they and furniture and sheets are in this or in that. Make sense? Yeah. So that's proprietary assets. Patrons is a fifth P. Okay, big profit mistake. Customer concentration, not customer diversification. That same media company that I was telling you about that wanted to sell for 10 to 15 million because his wife was dying, they have five clients. They lost two oh. while they're in the sales process. The reason they have five is because they cater to casinos. They only worked with casinos. They lost two casinos during the process. They weren't sellable anymore. Their revenues dropped in half. Their EBITDA dropped in half. I ended up merging them with somebody else. So customer diversification is huge. You want customer diversification, not customer concentration. However, just for your listeners, if you have customer concentration, call me. <laughs> because we sold an oil manufacturing business that has 70% of their revenue tied up in BP. We appraised it for $9.8 million. We have 550 buyers. We narrowed it down to 12 LOIs. But every single LOI had a um, contingency in there that if they lost BP, and they will lose half yeah. of the sale. So more than half of the sale. We found one buyer that had products and services similar and been trying to get in BP for years and never could get in the door. So the buyer says, I'm buying this company and helping everybody else because I can yeah. get my products in there and ROI just off of my products. So he paid $15 million for um, 70% of the company, which was 126% more than what it pays for. Yeah. And, oh, one more profit mistake. Customers, business has been in business 15, 20, 30 years. Guess what happens? The customers age out. Do they replace them with new customers? They forget. Yep. Huge. And you know what? You're not going to replace a baby boomer with a millennial without being innovative. Yeah. Because <laughs> they buy differently. And then the last P... One, oh, one more profit mistake I wanted to give you on processes. Do you know how what percentage of companies get embezzled every single year? Good, because I don't, I don't know either, but I know it's really high. <laughs> <laughs> I have one of my clients was embezzled eight different times. So under processes, you have to have checks and balances for your money. And yeah. you must inspect what you expect. You must trust but verify. Michelle, so, I've got... Uh, my, my dad's an entrepreneur and so is my older sister. And uh, they both have been uh, embezzled uh, more than once each. Yeah. So as my husband, you know, um, I tell you, it happens more often than not. And it's because people put people in place and they trust them and, but they don't verify. And you got to have layers of ways to inspect things, you know, especially when it comes to your money. And I thank God I've never been embezzled because I'm a control freak when it comes to money. <laughs> and I have layers and layers and layers of protection. And I haven't been embezzled in any of my companies, knock on wood. Maybe I shouldn't say that. So profits is the last P. Profit, the reason I put profits last is because profits is never the problem. You don't have a profit problem. You have a symptom. Office is a symptom of not operating on one of the other five P's. I have clients that come to me and say, Michelle, I have a profit problem. I'm like, no, you have a people problem. <laughs> or no, you were just embezzled because you have a process issue. But profits is never the problem. It's a lack. It's a symptom of one of the other five P's. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Absolutely. 
Well, I'm, I'm sure Landon pulled a bunch out of what you just went through, but the first thing that came to mind for me is one of the things that we talk to our clients about that you're clearly talking to your clients about, and that's owner dependency, right? And so we actually send our clients through an owner dependency index to find out how dependent their business is on them personally. And, you know, I mean, you know it, you already said it, the, the reality is the less dependent the business is on the owner, the more valuable the business, period. And that's more a really valuable hard, and more yeah. sellable. I mean, buyers walk right. away all the time because they're like, can't like we're selling a $70 million company right now. And even though they have 300 employees, we've got several buyers and the buyer I just showed it to so Michelle. We cannot buy this company unless he does, he agrees to stay on. And I said, oh, he's going to stay on. <laughs> We're selling 80%. He'll retain 20% equity. He wants to stay on. So, I mean, we have those, those hard conversations with our owners from the beginning. But you'd be surprised, even when a company gets really, really big like that company with 300 employees, business is still heavily dependent upon that owner. Yeah. Because the relationships with the clients all center around that owner. Big mistake. You don't want all those relationships to, to center around you. Yeah, it's a hard thing for an owner to accept that that actually makes the business more valuable and, and ready to be sold. It is. It is. Because again, they think of it as my, it was my baby. It's my baby. And they don't want to let go of the control. You'll never grow unless you let go of control. Yep, absolutely. And then I love to hear them dance, you know, in meetings. Oh, it's not that important. It's not that important. Oh, well, who did I talk to? Uh, me? <laughs> who does a pricey? Me? <laughs> uh, well, what about you, Landon? What else did you pull out of that portion? Oh, well, uh, too much to, to talk about in, in the five to eight minutes we have left, but a ton. But I, I think maybe more important is um, as we kind of press up against time here, Michelle, I am really curious. I want to I want to just keep extracting because you have a lot of knowledge and experience to share. So uh, let's talk about uh, sellers and buyers and uh, sanity checking them. What does that mean? And uh, what just talk us talk us through how you kind of manage that uh, process. So the seller sanity check, we kind of talked about that a little bit, you know, and that's in one of my chapters, when and what time is the best time to sell and what's the top five things most important to you, right? So for a seller, you know, we we try to drill down to see how much money they need per month to live on, how much money they need per year, how long they're going to live, who their heirs are, et cetera. I mean, a lot of what y'all do, <laughs> we're trying to do so we can get down to the brass tacks because if, if, if we can't, it's not about what I sell the business for, it's about what they walk away with. So if I can't get the numbers to work for them to where they feel comfortable, well, we can invest that money and throw off what they need to live on per month, per year, then they're not going to sell the business. So we have to figure out what is their sell-out sanity check from a financial standpoint, you know, and then what's the most important thing to them? Is it, is it the money or is it taking care of their customers, taking care of their employees, growing their legacy, et cetera? And we actually rate them. And we get a good idea of what's their bottom line, what's their bottom line purchase price, what's their bottom line walk away, what's their bottom line monthly, you know, what's the most important thing to them. That's the seller sanity check. The buyer sanity check, doesn't matter what type of buyer they are, there's five types of buyers, they all ask themselves five basic questions. Number one, how much do I have to put down because nobody wants to use their own money, they want to leverage everybody else's. 
Number two, will, will the cash flow of the business support the debt service? Rather, you know, now when you get into private equity groups and things like that, they got lots of money. Yeah. <laughs> right? They got a fund of 200 million that I got to help them spend. But for the other types of buyers, strategists and competitors and uh, sophisticated uh, serial entrepreneurs and first-time buyers, they go through this process. How much do you have to put down with the cash flow of the business support the debt service? How much is left after debt service is paid? How soon can I get an initial ROI, return on investment of what I put down? So if I put down a million, how soon I get my million back? Most importantly, does the business have potential to grow? Now, here's where sellers mess up. <laughs> they think they're going to get paid for their potential. Hmm. They're not going to get paid for the potential because then the buyers are paying twice. They're yeah. paying you for that potential and then you got to spend money to make money. So then they're spending money to realize that potential. So they're not going to pay twice. So sellers have a, a lot of preconceived ideas because they've listened to the wrong people. Yeah. They also think they're going to get multiple gross revenues and that's not happening unless you're in SaaS. Yep. Yeah. Did that no, answer your question, Lund? Did that answer your question? Yes? Yes, it did. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. So in the last few minutes that we have, uh, you, you mentioned the book, right? And you've mentioned a few chapters that are in the book, Exit Rich. But tell our listeners, where do they go to find the book? And who, who's really the target market for reading the book? And what are they going to get from it? So the target market for reading the book is, remember how we talked about 30.2 million businesses? All of those owners need to go get the book. <laughs> 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 and then also entrepreneurs and anybody really wanting to maybe buy or start a business so that you start it with the infrastructure and with the exit strategy from the beginning yeah. do it the right way from the beginning so anybody who wants to buy or start a business entrepreneurs and all business owners because exit rich is not just about selling a business it's about building a sellable asset Steve Forbes endorsed it. Kevin Harrington wrote the foreword. Did I talk about Sharon Lecter already? Sharon Lecter is my co-author. She wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki. She's a New York Times bestselling author five times. She's a CPA, financial literacy expert, and she is the mentor to several different presidents. Plus, her husband's an IP attorney. So she writes the mentor's corner from her perspective after every chapter. So you get my perspective from being in the trenches for 20 years, and you get a CPA, a financial literacy expert's perspective, plus an IP attorney who chimes in every now and then. <laughs> and then we have, um, it's endorsed by Jack Canfield from Chicken Soup from So, Mike Victor Hansen, Les Brown, Brad Sugars from um, Action Coach, and lots of other, you know, people, Brian Tracy, Tom Hopkins, anyway, this goes on and on. Um, but you can get, so Axel Rich is coming out in June, uh, towards the end of June. But you don't have to wait till June. You can go to exitrichbook.com today at $24.79, less than an Amazon. <laughs> we will email you the digital download so you can start reading it today immediately. Plus, we will mail the hardcover to your doorstep to anyone that lives in the United States for no additional shipping. Then we'll give you a lifetime membership into the Exit Rich Book Club. But we have video content. So if you like what you're hearing here, there's me doing deep dives and all these different techniques and strategies that I've been practicing for the last 20 years, plus documents. Documents to operate your business and to sell your business. So we have sample policy and procedure manuals, SOP checklist or charts, employee handbooks, non-competes, sample LOIs, letter of intent, purchase agreements, due diligence checklist, closing docs, 
Are you kidding me? All these documents <laughs> are there for your review and download and will cost you over $30,000 if you wanted to recreate all of them. And you can use the templates. Plus, we're giving a 30-day free membership into Club CEOs. And Club CEOs is an entrepreneur mastermind where we ask those transformational questions to help business owners build that scalable, sellable, and when they're ready, sellable business. Great. Well, I keep waiting for you to say, but wait, there's more. There's, there's so <laughs> much wait. that came with that. <laughs> wait, my main website is SilerTucker.com. <laughs> yeah, there is so much that came with that. And it will be over um, when the book launches. So it's a lot of value for right now. We have one gentleman that's been uh, owned a media business, advertising business for 20 years. He read the digital download and he said, oh my gosh. He said, I didn't know about the six Ps. I didn't know about the GPS. I didn't know about this, that. And he has completely restructured his entire team. He's hired all new level management and he's on his way to, to build to sell and he's going to, going to call me but he says he's taken all these different courses he learned more reading exit rich anything else he's ever done <laughs> well i, I he thought sends us an the... email he sent us a letter i mean yeah yeah What's no, that? that's awesome well i thought you had the perfect opportunity to make a a joke that would just cause the whole room to go silent by saying well the only place you can get this is to go down to your local bookstore and buy it on the shelf <laughs> <laughs> I should have said that Yeah. <laughs> next time. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Michelle. We really appreciated the conversation. The information is clearly there. We recommend that everybody go to exitrichbook.com to find uh, Michelle's latest book and go to silertucker.com to learn about so many other things that they do and, and how they may be able to help you to prepare yourself to sell your business one day. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much. Thank you, Austin. Thank you, Landon. It was Thank a pleasure you, being with y'all. I'd like to just publicly say real quick that Austin and I are happy to endorse Exit Rich Volume 2 if and when that comes out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do an Exit Rich Kids, Exit Rich Chiropractors, Exit Rich Dentists, kind of like EMF. Okay. Uh -huh. Very Maybe. fantastic. I talked to my publicist. He goes, that's a lot of work. I go, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Thank, Thank you, you all Michelle. so much. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.